you so much, Megan and Olivia, for the Nissen worship this morning. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be back. Here we are, day two. Day two. <laughs> uh, question and response. And so uh, we are calling it question and response because uh, I think question and answer sometimes can be misleading because some of the types of questions that we're talking about this morning and responding to uh, from the survey that we sent out last week where we asked what would the top three questions that you would desire to be discussed in chapel regarding the regarding the theme of faith, uh, gender, and sexuality. Um, there's a lot of different nuances, a lot of variants. There's a lot of even disagreement within the realm of, of Christendom and even within our campus. And so uh, we, we titled it Question and Response because um, we're not the final authority of, of, of two white guys that, that are responding to these questions. So um, I am. I am. I'm the final but authority. More, yeah. Peter is more than I, it's not though. That hard. <laughs> we settled this last yesterday. Yeah. I mean, you're Dr. Kapsner. Yeah, fancy letters. I'm not Dr. J. Yeah, so those letters make a difference. Oh, gosh, yes. Yes. Yeah, there's all sorts of authority to be had in the kingdom because you have fancy letters. That's great. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Tongue firmly in cheek. Sarcasm noted, please. Yes. Okay, thank you. And and while uh, these questions uh, are are deep and they're serious, uh, they're difficult, um, we can also have some humor as well and uh, a little bit of lightheartedness, which... Uh, tends to happen when Peter is involved, so, um, and myself. But anyway, I, I wanted just to set up again this morning, um, really our heart behind this, this Q&R time. And um, as you know, we've been journeying through the book of Ephesians as one of the themes in chapel. And to jump ahead a little bit, um, this idea, of, as we're seeking to, to discern what's true, um, I, love, I love Paul's uh, admonition to us when he said uh, in Ephesians 4.15, this idea of rather, rather than being led astray um, by the, uh, he, he says, by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so our, our aim and our hope this morning is to help us grow as the body, is to build one another up in love through the way that we're responding to these questions and to help hopefully model what a, a dialogue could look like and, and to help equip and, uh, and show you and hopefully to help you continue these conversations uh, with one another, with us, with other staff, faculty. Um, we're, we're here for you. We want you to thrive. We want you to grow up. We want you to flourish here um, as students, and part of that uh, is to have a, a, a growing right understanding uh, of what God's abundant plan for us, abundant life, looks like pertaining to uh, our faith, our gender, and sexuality. So, um, so to tee up really the, the yesterday's question, we had five questions t- for yesterday, and we only got through one of them. And uh, no surprise, the, the the first question we dialogued about yesterday was how can how can how can we as Christians begin to reach and repair. Um, the, the relationships uh, between the church and the LGBTQ community. And um, that is a very expansive question. There's a lot of different nuance. We took it a couple different directions. We're not going to keep going with that question, although we recognize there's a lot more that could be said, but we would encourage you to check out the podcast uh, for, from yesterday um, to, to listen to that. So this morning, our first question uh, is going to come up, and it's this. It's, what is the difference between sex and gender? How does the Bible's view on gender and the culture's view agree or disagree? 
So uh, really the idea is, uh, one of the other questions that kind of fell in line with this was, you know, are, are gender roles divinely orchestrated or designed or given, or are they more... Uh, are you looking at me? Through this is coming my direction in a minute? Oh, yeah, but I'm, no, I'm, I, I'm I don't engaging want to answer you. this question. Oh, so you want me to? No, I can. Okay. <laughs> this is just You tricky. want to start? I don't know. It's super tricky, isn't it? It is. Whole thing. So I'm hearing in, in the question um, this idea of, uh, like, even gender confusion is in this question, as well as the yes. idea that God ordain gender roles based on if somebody's male or female. Am I understanding? Yes. Okay. Yep. So I, I think we can safely say that uh, gender confusion is a really unique and interesting phenomenon that only has sort of any meaningful precedence in terms of how explosive it's been the last couple of years. When you look at world history, this has not been a question. It's a really unique view to split apart somebody's sense of their gender from whatever their biology is. Historically, those two things go hand in hand, and it's now called gender dysphoria. And I remember I was at a, a different college presenting to the faculty a couple of years ago, and uh, the, as, as a panelist member, one of the panelist members was from the University of Minnesota with her PhD in sociology, and she presented this idea of what was called the gender-bred man, and, uh, and it talked about having all of these different potential and possible genders with which one could identify independent of your biological sex. And I, I just, if you're confused by this issue, you just need to understand there really is um, quite a bit of new and then somehow seen as more reliable information that it's actually true that your, your gender is meant to be split from your biological sex. And so then what you should try to do, if that's the case, is you should change your biological sex in order to match your sense of gender. So over the last couple of years, unique in world history, there has been not just the idea, but the possibility through surgery and through hormone suppression and a number of other techniques to try to bring into alignment someone's articulated sense of gender. I really think I'm female, even though I'm male, or I really think I'm male instead of female, that instead of trying to bring alignment through understanding what's happening in a person's perception, which is much less invasive and intrusive, right? The, the common approach now is simply, oh, well, you were a boy born in a girl's body or a boy born in a girl's body. I, I can't emphasize how unbelievably unique that is in terms of world understanding, okay? And when something's new, it doesn't mean it's more reliable. It just simply means that it's new and oftentimes it's quite a bit less reliable. So all that's to say is that in this whole gender confusion thing, Justin, um, what's really interesting is they did some uh, research about a month ago and they saw that attitudes among some of the next generations, like your generation or the generation ahead of you, the millennial generation, are actually shifting as it relates to this topic of gender dysphoria and confusion. You would think people are getting more permissive towards this, saying, hey, if somebody wants to change their biological sex to match with their perception of their gender, sure, who are we to say? Uh, but what they're finding is that people are actually saying, hang on just a minute. Because what the stats are revealing is that the reason why people might want to bring some sense of alignment in their perception versus their biological sex is they think it's going to resolve the depression and the anxiety and the turmoil and the uncertainty and I don't know what my identity is like. There's a sense that if you do all of this, it's going to resolve all of that. And so make this very intrusive, very difficult step of uh, hormone suppression and change your actual sex to match your gender. And what they're saying is that not only does it not resolve 
the anxiety, depression, turmoil, confusion, all of that sort of stuff. It actually heightens and it makes it worse. And now somebody um, ha can't really go back terribly effectively. Where the remedy, quote unquote remedy, for the issue is actually worse than what's happening originally. I hope that makes some degree of sense. I uh, was um, reading uh, a woman on the East Coast who is a liberal, atheist, lesbian scholar. So, you know, common <laughs> scholar to read uh, on this. And, uh, and her comment was basically, so you would think she would be in alignment because everybody within the LGBTQ community is in perfect alignment, right? She's not at all. She said, we have got to stop this practice of uh, biological sex change. It's actually abusive to young children to suggest at the age of six, seven, eight, nine, 13, 14, 15, that uh, they should go through all of this therapy and change that is ultimately irreversible. Again, all I can say about this, Justin, is that it is unique in world history. We don't see this phenomenon take shape like this. There's always been like a low levels of confusion here and there, but it's not as pervasive as it is. And I think it speaks a lot more to things like loneliness, absence of families, absence of church, um, the church acquiescing his voice. There's a lot of other explanations for why we're confused as opposed to, oh, we're finally getting this right. We're so enlightened. We finally understand all of this kind of stuff. It's really wreaking a lot of havoc. And I think if you're confused in this room about these topics, it would be weird if you weren't um, because we simply don't have the voices that we used to have. It's, the voices are the voices of our phones now and whatever is viral is considered most credible. And there just isn't a, a lot of, I think, resonant, sophisticated, helpful voices on this. No, it's really, um, it's really good. And I, I think, um, you know, we're at the very basic level um, when it talks about, you know, our sex and gender. So essentially you're saying, you know, sex would be our biology, right? And our, right. And our gender would be um, maybe our, 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 our sociology or our psychology, right. so to speak, right? Yeah, and those two things historically are meant to live in alignment with each other and, and yep. historically have. And if there is a disconnect, you move towards the psychology sociology place, not to the biology place, yep. because it's it's the biology is so disruptive for people, and it doesn't resolve the issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, at the, I think what's at stake here when we look at the confusion um, that permeates our culture, even and, and with especially even within Christians, uh, within Christian culture, and within the church, what's at stake here is is the way God's image is being displayed and, right. and portrayed, right? Um, and I. Something I've been reflecting on, this is kind of, I'm still thinking out loud, it's been interesting to me as I've just been observing just as a Christian for 20-something years, but even the last five years, I feel like I've, I've noticed there's been so many um, either-or categories that we, that we construct, um, and, and rather than a both-and. Both and, and we do that to the neglect, of, and really what I mean by that is, you know, we kind of have our different theological constructs. You know, are you, are you complementarian? Are you egalitarian? Are you Arminian? Are you Calvinist? Are you, uh, you know, the, the gifts are for today, the gifts are not for today. There's all these different pieces, either or categories that really we kind of construct. And I, I keep going back to the word thinking, I think God is the only one who has the authority to make these either or categories. And what we're doing is we're actually rejecting his either or categories right. and we're making our own. And I think one of these either-or categories is that in the beginning, God made them male and female. And I, and I think I wonder if part of the, um, you know, the confusion is the way, that, of the way that, that, that our culture has actually influenced what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And, I, and it, it seems one of the points that was interesting last week um, that uh, 
when, when Preston Sprinkle was here. I don't know if he, sh- he mentioned this in chapel. He was actually did a session with our student leaders um, that one of the, in one of the evenings. And he talked about how the Bible is very clear um, to make distinct categories of male or female. But it gives a long leash and a really, a, a really broad spectrum of what it looks like to live as a male or to live as a female. And so even using the examples, you know, that you, you, know, you see men in the Bible do things that are traditionally male and maybe what our culture would say traditionally more, f- you know, female or more feminine. You know, you have, for example, King David, who is the man of war and slaying his ten thousands and he's killing giants. But then at the other hand, he's off on, on, on a mountain somewhere writing uh, poetry to a harp and talking about his love for his friend Jonathan, who was greater than that of a woman. And you're like... Well, that sounds kind of more feminine, right? And then you have women and judges that are heaping huge stones over walls and crushing people and, you know, driving tent pegs through the temples of people. Like, why don't we ever preach on this stuff, right? We I mean, should. Just like another sermon out of Ephesians I don't need. But I need the whole, like, like tent pole. Warrior the women of the Bible. Like, right? I mean, this is what we need. Yeah. We need, you know what we really need? We need some vegetables that could tell the story through animation. That's you know? a like, great idea. I'm so, I mean, yes, Josh in the big wall. Peter, you're on to something. I mean, right? We need, oh, well, whatever. We should okay, take I'll that. Shut up. Vegetables. Yep. Vegetable, maybe fruit instead. Yeah, I don't, you know, pick, yeah, Veggie Tales Part 2. Fruity I mean, tales? all the stories we want to see no. animated. Okay. With that, yeah, anyway. Anyway. Um, what do you, this is a quick follow-up before, you know, we, wanna, we could spend our whole time on this question, but what ways do you think, Peter, has our Christian culture and maybe even on our campus reinforced the cultural um, viewpoints of of what it means to be man what it means to be woman versus going back to the text and saying actually there's a lot of freedom here of what it yeah. Biblical masculinity and biblical femininity looks like. Yeah, it, you know, it's really worthwhile going through the biblical text. And it's something from teaching the sexuality class, there's a number of questions I've had to sort of address that take a long time for me to even research. And so anything from like same gender sexuality, gender dysphoria, all of that, what I'm just on the front end of is looking at feminine and masculinity within, femininity and masculinity within the text and how God represents both the fullness of masculinity and femininity in that. And then, of course, it leads to all the questions. Well, then why is God Father? Why did Jesus turn up? You know, all of that. And sure, we can deal with all of that stuff. But there are lots of clear images and clear evidence of both the masculinity and femininity of God within the biblical text. And to explore those, I think it might help us see through the sociological sense of gender that we have in American culture, which typically is defined as the male as the leader of the house. Um, the female is sort of the submissive um, housewife kind of figure sort of thing. And as I often say, I'm desperately disinterested in what's happening in American culture to define that conversation. Like, I mean, I don't need another um, Avengers movie that shows 47 superhero women, you know, like take on whatever uh, the guy at the end, Thanos and stuff like that, just to prove that women are powerful. Like we just, we don't need Hollywood to show us the way forward with this uh, at this point in time. And yet we need to acknowledge that women have been the victims of oppression and suffering and turmoil. And some of it has to do with what our views are biblically in terms of what constitutes um, the male and female relationship. And uh, I, I would say this at the risk of um, getting burned at the stake, that, uh, which, which is always, you know, a healthy risk uh, on that. Um, and I hope there's this three of you that place. want to do that. Like, after this, I hope there's at least three of you that want to take me in the parking lot and stone me or some other, like, old grotesque method of capital punishment. Um, but it's, it's entirely possible, and part of what I appreciate at Northwestern is the ability to explore different views in which the Bible retains its authority as it should. But I think we have to be very clear that as the Bible is authoritative, and I have such a terribly high view of Scripture, and even more so as life goes on, 
um, that a given interpretation of Scripture might not be authoritative. Okay, so again, that's the, the really key point. People say, well, Scripture says it. Well, you're probably just parroting back that which you grew up with on a certain view of Scripture. Um, and so how do we continue to hold the authority of Scripture? But if you had N.T. Wright sitting over here and Mike Holmes sitting over here, and you had John Piper and Douglas Moo sitting over here, they'd both be looking at the same passages about male and female relationships and coming to different conclusions. Both of them can't be right. Uh, one of them can't be authoritative, so how do we decide is a really tricky and difficult process. So I think to the extent that we can reopen the conversation and wonder about not reinforcing these traditional roles, um, although I think it's worth exploring all these things. So I'm, I'm not, I mean, you could ask me what I believe, and that's fine, and let's go have a bonfire and talk about it. But, um, but I think it's worth opening the box so that we don't just reinforce roles that ultimately are not helpful in the male and female relationship. Yeah. Um, much more could be said on that. I think uh, moving to the next question, if one, this, the, first, the first one we addressed today is talking about gender dysphoria. This one would be maybe about dating dysphoria. Dating? Does anybody <laughs> right. By so the way, we talk about, I, I, just, I want to say it out loud again. If you're a senior here and you don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend yet and no prospects, you have failed miserably out of Northwestern. <laughs> okay? So, and you know, a great strategy is all the people that you turned down when you were 18 because you thought you had a wide horizon and a lot of possibility, just give them a quick second look. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> you, you have no future and no hope if you don't get married at the end of this, uh, this time here. So I'm just, you know, I mean, Justin will be here for you and sort of your, your lonely bachelorhood sort of thing or whatever. But wow, wow. I'm sorry, did I say that out no, loud? I was thinking it. Yeah. No, was, you did. You I did, did say that out loud. We said that we weren't going to share that. Back oh, in the green I really, room. I repent yeah. in sackcloth and Just ashes. About a quick show of hands. How many of you are dating <laughs> someone right now? Good. We actually celebrate okay. that. This is not an either or binary. We can both celebrate. Yeah, yeah. That How many of you are happen. not dating someone? Yeah. All right, everyone else, look around. Oh, look around. Look yourself. around. Okay, I'm just yeah. kidding. All right. Um, your future yeah. spouse may yeah. be. I'm in just going to say out loud, too, Justin, that if you stay single, you're part of the junior varsity of the kingdom. You never actually get onto the, the varsity field. Uh, <sighs> or you could be well, like me. So much to talk about Or here. you could be like me who yeah. did not meet his wife while here, even though we went to you school You met somebody together. outside of Northwestern? Well, not really, kind of. They, oh. She was a part of Northwestern. She's still a student oh, at Northwestern, okay. but I graduated okay. single. Yeah. Okay? Well, you just believe that the God's plan, the plan's got right. for you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah plans yeah, yeah, yeah. for us. Okay. You or... All right. To our question. To our question. <laughs> We're um, almost out of time. This how is, okay. can a Christian? Oh, look at the time. Um, how can a Christian date in a way that's in alignment with the Bible? Yeah, that's so good. Okay, so that actually brings us all together, and part of why we're having all the laughter about this is you can't, in today's 21st context, <laughs> date in a way that's in alignment with the scriptures because the way we date has no precedence at all in the scriptures. I mean, if you want to date according to the scriptures, we got to go fiddler on the roof and Tevia and arrange marriage and all that kind of stuff, okay? Um, so it is impossible, uh, and it's so unbelievably not in alignment with scriptures to cut loose a bunch of eight to 18 to 22-year-olds and say, I'm going to try to find a partner on my own without any other input from anybody around me, and hopefully we have a great personality profile or match up on some sort of dating app well enough that we might get along and find a companion for a lifetime. That's super weird. <laughs> Okay, that's super weird and disorienting and disconcerting and all of these sorts of things. You cannot date uh, in a way that is in alignment with Scripture because it is so fundamentally different. Now, we talk about this in my sexuality class where we do have a couple class periods devoted to what does it mean to um, walk out life in a dating relationship in the utter weirdness of the culture in which we live comparatively. And that's probably too big of a question uh, to deal with right now. But I, I would say in this... Um, 
if you're experiencing some confusion or uncertainty in the dating, it's because we are the product of hyper-individualistic America as opposed to the product of kingdom journey together as a community of faith and scriptures. And dating sounds much different in one versus the other. Uh, and it's a really confusing reality. So I'm not, advoca- I'm not advocating for Tevye and arranged marriages, although I do have two daughters, and I do want to just be like, you know, can I have a voice, please? And my three sons can I have some. I- I'll go Tevye with those guys a little bit, but um, other than that. How old are your daughters? Um, they are 17 and 12. Oh, never mind. My son's two and a half, so that'd be too be weird. <laughs> I thought we could arrange something. Well, that's not okay. Have some tw- witnesses. But, but when they're like 190, at that point, it's not a big deal. Like, it's super socially awkward now, I agree with, but okay. I mean, give it, give it some time, and the 10-year okay. gap is not a big Maybe. deal. Okay. Yeah, no, but no. we're not going to introduce him yet because that would be weird. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Things got weird again. Um, my fault. Uh, so I, I think to your, to your point, yeah, you know, please. on one hand, Reel we, we look at dating, you know, dating, it, it is a modern day convention. It is. Right? And, yep. and it, you know, we don't, I think there's kind of two different perspectives. We often, here's, here's kind of where we kind of go to this either or that's, that sometimes gets us in trouble, I think. Because we, we don't, look, when we don't see a today's modern day convention in scripture, we think, oh, well, it's not in scripture, so we can kind of figure it out and do however we want to do it, right? Um, and that's kind of like maybe like an extreme libertarian view, just like the individualistic, I can decide yeah. what's authoritative. And then you also look in scripture, you know, and there is sometimes, you know, you look at like Isaac and Rebecca, and there's obviously a lot of arranged marriages. You look at Jacob and, and, and Leah and Rachel, and that whole messy thing. Um, right. uh, there's, there was, there was a, maybe what we could call like a romantic interest or like a physical attraction, um, and then we try to say, well, we have to try to match exactly what Scripture does, and we're going to try to do arrange and, and this whole thing, <laughs> you know. And there's kind of this strict rigidness there, right? And, I, and I'm wondering, like, where where is where is the both and and you know how is it that we're going to find and discover, you know, our our future spouse? And I think, um, you know, a, a couple thoughts. How many? I think one. How many of you? Another show of hands. No one's going to be embarrassed. Well, maybe, but if you want to participate, how many of you have made a list? Of like, here's my ideal future spouse. <laughs> okay, I see some guys' hands gosh, going. I wish we could post all those lists right now. All right, I would love to this, see them. That would be amazing. That'd be yeah. amazing. Let me let me let me put it this way. And, I, and we talked about this in, in uh, briefly in my in our ethics class. So we didn't have two whole full, full class periods. But right. Um, my 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 advice, I, and a lot, where a lot could say, is to is to renovate your list and flip it rather than than making a list of finding like what your perfect spouse is. That it's the fo- flip the focus of not finding the right person, but becoming the right person. In other words, f- flip the list. Make a list of what type of spouse do you want to be? What type of virtues do you want to cultivate? And then when you do that in the context of community, um, man, let me tell you, God, God is going to be faithful and, and honor that. And, and, and in his way and in his sovereign timing is going to line that up. Um, if that's his plan for you, which statistically it will be for most of us, but for some it won't. Um, yeah, and I think it's, I mean, Hallie and I, when we got married uh, 25 years ago, we absolutely failed the personality test miserably. Like all of the red flags are like, these two should not get married based on their personality. And here we are 25 years later and, uh, and celebrating that part of the journey and, and neither one of us going anywhere. I mean, I hope we live to 150 so we can just keep this wonderful, beautiful journey moving forward that hasn't always been easy but it's been great but the reason why we got married was not because of the personality test it was because the people that we knew that we trusted and the voice of the community that can see into our lives in ways that we can't especially when we are just it's all right here in front of us we're able to say no we see that uh, there's something God has for the two of you Um, and uh, and trusting those voices is, is so important 
but oftentimes I'm guessing there's many in this room that don't even know that they have those kind of voices that can help discern this on their behalf. But, but trusted people to see what you can't see is really important. And personality profiles are, are relatively useless, uh, other than that it tells you a little bit about how, you know, what you might like in life, but they're not great tools for deciding to get married. Um, it's got to be the leading of God and the leading of people around you uh, and saying yes to a covenant journey that's much bigger than yourself. Yeah, that's good. Because I, I, I think the last thing I'll say about this when we go to the next question is, you know, if, um, if, if both my wife Maddie and I would have followed our list, uh, we would have never married each other. Right. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> sure. What was on her list was she never wanted to date or marry a guy who went to Northwestern, who was going into ministry, and who was a friend of her brother's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had all three. <laughs> and and on top of that, her mom was trying to set us up. And she was not doing well with her mom That's, at that time. And, yeah. and, and she literally oh, oh, called brother. her, called my wife, future wife, while she was in a relationship with somebody else, while I was hanging out with her brother at, their, at her at the parents' house, and said, you need to come over right now. Um, I've met your future husband. <laughs> That's brilliant. And so we actually met at her brother's wedding, and she was a bridesmaid. I was a, yeah. not a groomsman, and that would have been, oh, you know, I was an usher, so I was on the side. <laughs> but the long story short Sounds there, like a Thunderbolt romance at the two of you. Totally. Yeah. But in other words, we, we didn't make each other's list, and that I think what God has in plan for you is better than any list you could create, and often it'll thwart any expectations you have. Yeah. That doesn't mean don't have high standards, um, but it, notice dating should have a direction. It should have a purpose. Yeah. It, should, it should ready you, should prepare you for marriage, and, and that's best cultivated in the context of friendship and community. So, Well, unlike you, Hallie's, I mean, I was her list. Of course. Uh, entirely. Yeah. So, yeah, she was, she was looking <laughs> we for We can't a all be as good as yeah, you. Yeah, know. she was looking that's... for a bald eye, sort of balding, semi-overweight, a loose cannon in chapel kind of guy, and I was that guy. So, um, I mean, I just, I crushed it when it came to the list. Yeah. Man. Yeah, God is good, Justin, all I, I, the time. That's all the time. Yeah, all the yeah. time. And I, I hope, I have to just before, Peter, I do want to be like you when I grow up, except I want to keep my hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your hair's so cool. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I can't even do the beard thing. I can't I, even grow hair here. Like yeah. on the top of my earlobes, that's the only spot I can grow <laughs> hair. So, yeah. That's, I'm glad Hallie finds that attractive. That's too much um, info. Did I say that out loud, too? Yes. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Okay, we better go to the next question. This is the No, no Filter Tuesday. Um, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so this, this is following in line with um, how can a Christian date in a way that's in alignment with the Bible. Um, this, often, this question often comes up, and I've heard, we've heard a lot of different iterations of it, and it came up a lot in the survey. Um, this idea of how far is too far yeah. to go physically before marriage. It's a great, great question. Um, People are in a dating relationship. Often yeah. this is in the context of a dating relationship. You're trying to set boundaries, physical boundaries. What's that like? Maybe what's maybe some... Yeah, thoughts so I'll give a quick uh, couple of thoughts about that because it comes up in every class, right? And then love to hear from you. But I also have a quote that I'll look up on my phone from a great book from uh, Nancy Piercy, Love Thy Body, that talks a little bit about this. And, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the Bible is, uh, is silent. It doesn't give us the line. You know, I'm not sure that there's a, still a baseball analogy out there about, you know, first base, second base. There, it, it doesn't say anywhere in the Pauline letters, thou shall not go to second base or lead off of second base or something like that, right? <laughs> even, even in the message translation, you can't find that. And so... Um, <laughs> And so, like, how do you know, right? Well, the Bible doesn't say it. It must be all fair game. You know, it's how some people think, to which you can always say, well, the Bible doesn't say thou shall not take cocaine, and we know not to do that, right? So, you know, it's, it's a little bit how does the, the text function. And, um, you know, there, I think as a starting point, getting your head around the intimacy and vulnerability and, and the beauty for which this kind of expression of love is um, made 
we've, we've sort of lost that. We've dumped some of that down, or a lot of it down, actually. Um, and so where's the line? How's, well, I've gotten probably more conservative over the years on where the line is, um, especially compared to my college days. And, and uh, one of the reasons for that, it's not a um, fail-safe way to talk about it, but I once heard somebody say, you know, when you think about where the line is, how comfortable would you be talking to your future spouse about something that you've done with somebody in the past who's not your spouse? And that might give you like a little window, because like when I think about even, you know, if Hallie took a romantic walk around a lake with somebody that was not me, that she had been dating or whatever, and holding their hands, and that person shows up at our door, it's not like I'm going to be like, oh, great, you took a romantic white, uh, you know, walk with my wife. I'm so glad you had that opportunity to gaze in each other's eyes. And, you know, no, I mean, I would want to punch the guy. And I'm not a fight. I don't know how to fight, okay? So, I mean, I would definitely need to learn. But I would love to, like, go Cobra Kai on this guy and just, you know, go nuts on him and, uh, because you just don't want to share that space with somebody else. Um, again, to take our cues from American culture or Fifty Shades of Purple or whatever these movies are, I mean, it's like <laughs> the dumbest thing we can possibly do. I mean, 22-year-old Hollywood scriptwriters, yeah, they're the ones that know about sex. That's great. Let's keep streaming, you know, stuff on Netflix and getting our cues from that. Um, it's a perfect idea. Uh, and so we talk a lot in class, Justin, about most people have gone further than they would have liked. And most people sort of know intuitively that lines have been crossed. Um, and thankfully, we serve a king of a kingdom who is so filled not with, um, with sort of spiritual amnesia, but is able to bring healing and hope and forgiveness and freedom into all of those places. And, uh, and I think once we get our head around what this beauty and wonder of sexuality is meant to be, we sort of say, yeah, I guess I don't want to share that space with somebody else. I'm asking a very different question than where's the line, which is mostly the question of, well, this person said this, or I watched this pornographic thing, or this is going on, I kind of want to try these things, or whatever, and stuff. They're, all of the underpinnings are super understandable and really sad, and there is healing and hope and all of that, but I don't know that we know the fire that we're messing with. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's good. I, you know, the Bible is not clear on where the line is, but it is clear on when the, when the time is. Yes, that's you know, a good way to say it. Put it, it that way. And I think, I think of, you know, Song of Solomon. You know, we should have a series in Song of Solomon Chapel. That would be fun. Did you know, I mean, song, yeah, Song of Solomon, that they didn't allow Jewish boys sometimes to read that until they were about 18 to 20. Right. You know, because it's so racy, that book. Yeah. But that idea of there's that repeated line, you know, I think three or four times, you know, O daughters of Jerusalem, I adjure you, do not awaken love yes. until it desires. Um, and that idea is that, we have a responsibility to not awaken something in someone else that we don't, we're not prepared to make the commitment to fulfill. Right. And so that idea of, you know, um, yeah, I, I think on the other side, you, if, when you're married, I guarantee there will, there will not be something you'll look back and you think, oh, I wish we would have gone further physically. Like if you withheld something, you're right. not going to regret, you're not going to regret withholding something, but often you will regret things that you let go and the things that you expressed and experienced. And that idea that kind of this golden rule of dating is the person that you're dating um, may or may not be your future spouse, which means that they are likely somebody else's, which means that right. somebody else may be dating your future spouse. So treat that person and the way the future spouse would want to be treated. And to recognize that ultimately at the end of the day, um, our bodies are not our own. Um, they were bought with a price. Yeah. And, yep. and, then, and that idea of that giving of ourselves to, to, to somebody else um, really the, the best and the fullest expression of that is, is in the context of marriage. And I love, you know, um, you know, I think it was John Piper who said, God's not a cosmic killjoy, but he hates everything that kills joy. Yeah. I, so that idea fair. is God is actually for your joy, for your sexual fulfillment. Um, 
and but it has to but it's not isolated it's not this compartment over here that you just tap into it's it's a part of a whole package um, that God has designed and planned. Yeah, so. I think the last thing we can say about that, and, and again, I would highly recommend the book, Nancy Piercy, Love Thy Body, addresses some of this. I don't have the quote called up, but um, I, I talk to a lot of couples because it comes up in my class too. Well, if you're engaged and you're going to get married and it's going to be the person, then does it matter? Like, and, and it's fascinating to me over all the years of counseling couples about how they struggle in their sexual intimacy post-marital vows if they have been, to the extent that they've been intimate premarital vows, and how do you explain that kind of idea? And I think we don't know for sure or underestimate the power of those vows. Mm -hmm. When we stand across the aisle, there is a certain love of God that is called the Hesed love of God, which is the I will never leave you nor forsake you kind of love. And I've done enough weddings in my life that when um, this man and this woman stand across from each other in that aisle and they look across, and in the Jewish way of thinking, when you speak, your words have power, they do something. And, uh, and I can feel that something happened as the bride and the groom say, here's the thing, I will le- never leave you nor forsake you. Um, the ties that are created in that kind of intimacy where we are together in this are wholly non-anxiety-based kinds of ties. Yeah. If there's a possibility that you can still leave each other, any ties that you make intimately like that yeah. in the midst of pre-vow life are going to be made in anxiety and turmoil and uncertainty and they wreak havoc on the soul. And they're fundamentally different than the ties that are made within the Hesed love of the vows between male and female. And it's one of those things I wish we talked more about, just to, just to give a warning. And like you said, it's not to kill joy. It is to bring the beauty of joy to its fullness. Yep. Yeah. And there is, you know, both my wife and I brought things into our marriage that we regretted. Yeah, for and sure. So, and for and sure. most of my friends has the same. So talk about it now. Bring community into it. And don't, don't. Uh, shame grows in silence and isolation and in in the darkness bring light to it bring truth to it there's there is healing and restoration there um before we close with our final song our last question yeah 30 30 seconds easily tops right okay last question is this um why is cohabitation premarital sex wrong what about cohabitation without physical intimacy come to the next chapel i guess okay (laughs) peter peter's back tomorrow um yeah I think we kind of live in a, in a hookup, shack-up, break-up type of culture. Yeah. And yeah. so I think, I think this, this idea of cohabiting um, is stepping into the realms of the type of intimacy and commitment yeah. that God has so intended for marriage. So whether there's physical intimacy or not, um, it's, we, you can say, yeah, is there physical intimacy, the realm of the sin? I think it's just simply not wise. I think yeah. it's foolish to do so. I can say this, Justin. I've got a great idea. Why don't you try each other out as companions, partners, sexually, emotionally, spiritually, all of those things in the context of no vows at all and assume how you like it at the age of 22 is exactly how it's going to be at 49, so make your decision on that. That sounds... Oh, that sounds kind of dumb at the end of the day, doesn't it? said that out loud again. Oh, I said it out loud again. Okay. So, (laughs) good enough. Great to be with all of you. Uh, There's so many topics on this, right? And uh, just know, I think we can both leave it at this, Justin, that in the confusion and all of that, there is hope. There is healing. There is wholeness. There is a lack of anxiety. There is a rock on which we can stand in all of this. So, I want to invite us to stand as we close in worship. Um, Father, thank you so much that we can gather together as your people, um, as your sons and daughters, and I pray that even his closing moments, as we sing to you together, would you bring uh, your, your hope, uh, your healing, your restoration, fix our eyes afresh upon you, the author and the finisher of our faith. And thank you um, that your joy is our strength. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.